Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I'm Joe Stark, and tonight I am talking with Rodimus Prime from the Leftover Army. What is up, dude? Nothing much. How are you doing? <laughs> well, this has been a frustrating start. We were give you a little bit of behind the scenes knowledge here. We should have actually gotten started like 50 minutes ago, but my computer decided to do one of the world's longest fucking updates. And I, I really appreciate you hanging in there, dude. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. It's not like I'm married with kids or anything. <laughs> well, yeah. And I know exactly what that's like. Your wife's <laughs> probably in the other room thinking like, what the fuck? <laughs> he was supposed to start a long nope. time ago. Now it's going to go even later. What the fuck? It's funny because we we were we made plans to go out with the in laws tonight to dinner because and then we went to Cracker Barrel because it's the only place they eat, you know, old people. <laughs> nice. Um, I like Cracker Barrel. And I was like, yeah, it's yeah. Hey, I'll fuck uh, up some country fried steak, man. Yeah, but the service has gone down so much with this whole COVID. Nobody wants to work, and the sixteen year olds <laughs> in there don't give a crap, and they fucking spit in your food, and they stand in front of you, and they don't give a shit. <laughs> oh, no, but, it has been a while since I've been there. <laughs> Oh, it's so fucking terrible. So we're there, and I, I told her, I was like, you know, hey, I got to cut out early because I have to get back and be ready to record because I, I told her, you know, I'm doing the podcast or whatever. So I, I, you got me out of dinner with the in-laws for at least part of part of the time. I don't give a shit. <laughs> hey, hidden bonuses and silver linings. I like it. <laughs> oh, fuck. Are you generally a, gl a glass half full type fella? Um... I am not a optimist or a pessimist. I am a realist. And so I don't know. I don't I, I don't view things as being either good or bad. I just kind of take a more neutrality look to everything. You know, that's probably kinda a really healthy way. Sorry, that's that's probably like a really healthy way to approach the world, right? Um, It's good and it's bad because it depends on who you're talking to. Some people might think it's worse than even being a pessimist because like the neutrality – can be i don't know i don't want to say draining or inhuman but like you know what i mean it's it's hard for people to relate to that that you know it could be like just maybe a little bit robotic like is that where they're coming from like there's a coldness to 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 like or is it like kind of like a, almost like a nihilistic bent like where you're just like eh, it is what it is this is you know water is wet there's no feeling to that yeah pretty much yeah yeah, exactly. And then, like, I don't know, something will fucking come up. My wife will be, you know, super upset about it, and I'll let her tell me about it. And my natural instinct is just to take the information in, process it, know what I would do in the situation. And then by the time I decide that I was supposed to fucking say something, my wife's mad at me for just sitting there staring at her. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I'm super neutral, and so then I have to process, like, okay, does this person want – the optimistic response do they want the pessimistic response where do they want me to feel about this and so then it kind of slows down some of that like natural conversation and shit that happens in person <laughs> i i think with me i probably vacillate back and forth between optimism and pessimism uh i i think i try to be optimistic more i i i generally try to be kind of a little bit more jovial and stuff but i mean i can definitely have moments where where i'm being really real <laughs> and, and it's you know it's like like the old oh, you don't want to be there when the laughter stops huh <laughs> it, it sucks i don't know how much of it is you know natural how much of it is you know childhood development all that fun bullshit um my dad never really was like the kind of guy that say you did a good job or 
you know, you just did what you had to do. So why should I tell you you did a good job or why should I encourage you and all that kind of shit? So that's part of the reason I stay in the middle, I think. But it's hard now because I have children and like I don't want them to not be happy all the fucking time. Do you catch yourself following like automatic programming that, you know, like subconsciously picked up from your parents and then you start to repeat that as a parent and then like you stop yourself to try and be like, no, I got to I got to stop that right here. Like like, for example, like when I was younger, my dad was always quick to yell. And as I got older and like was able to really look and put myself in his shoes, like I understood it a little bit more because he worked swing shift. And so, you know, he'd be working third shift sometimes and then second shift and then first first shift. And I can only imagine how hard that would be to sleep in a house with rambunctious kids. But, you know, he was always generally quick to yell first. And so I noticed that that was like my knee jerk reaction with my own kids. And then after every time, I'd always feel so disappointed in myself. And so it was something that I mostly trained out of myself. Um, You know, I mean, of course, as parents, we all have slip ups every now and again, but. Uh, did you ever you ever notice anything like that with being a parent? I would say like my dad, he worked for the railroad for forever. And, and he, so he worked like crazy hours. And like he said, he like your dad, he worked like days and nights sometimes. And then as he worked his way up, he ended up working days. But, you know, you have the eight to ten hour shift plus the hour commute because he drove an hour to work. So when he was home, I think he kind of like vegged more and he would only get involved when it was time to lay the fucking smack down right um and he was my dad's like this macho dude he's macho man randy savage anyway uh he's like (laughs) hey pcl episode 400 check it out he uh yeah exactly he's like rough and tough and it's all about like you know when it's time then he fucking blows and so i have a pattern of just internalizing everything like the kids will leave shit everywhere. My wife will leave shit everywhere and I'll be cleaning it up and I'll do this every day. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm the second of eight. So we always had to do our part and clean and shit. So I'm like constantly have this desire to clean and keep the house in order and all that shit. And I just feel like it's my responsibility, but then I'll just let it bottle up. And that one day, you know, my four year old throws, you know, her fucking toy across the room and it hits the TV. And then I'm just like, fuck you world. <laughs> and that's the pattern that, that I try to stop and it's, I don't know, it's hard. You know, we all have our own tolerances and all that fun shit. Oh, absolutely. I I can definitely see myself falling into that too, where it's like, you know, if you, you know, clamp a smile on it for so long and, and just, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Just put it down. It's cool. It's cool. And then eventually it's like, nah, it's not going to be cool. And then you're going to get like, um, almost alluded to like the, you you ever seen like a pressure cooker that goes on the stovetop? And it's got that oh, yeah. steam release valve on the top that kind of rocks back and forth. And then every once in a while, stuff yep. will go haywire and that thing will fly right the fuck off. And then steam just goes shooting up into your ceiling. It's like that. That's that's why <laughs> pots and pans now have a hole in their lid so that doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, the last <laughs> new pot pan combo we, had, we we bought had that. And I was admiring it the other day. I'd be like, that, look at how fancy that shit is. And it's um, because... Uh, Oh, okay. Now I'm going to tangent into this. I bought these egg rings online, right? Because I started getting obsessed with having this perfect egg, you know, English muffin, egg and sausage and cheese sandwich that I can just make at home. So I got these little egg rings 
that I can make the egg in and then I get the sausage patties and flatten them down. But you got to get the egg to cook as, you know, for the right timing. And so I've figured out to put the lid on, but then put like a couple tablespoons of water in the pan before you put the lid on and it steams the top of the egg. It's really fucking nice, dude. (laughs) (laughs) So to, to piggyback off that tangent, my stepmom is a horrendous cook and a horrendous person, but whatever. Um, she she would make eggs for us and she would like put a glass of water in with the eggs and she's like your typical I'm so for the audience I'm a quarter Hispanic and I'm Italian and I'm Irish so I'm a mean drunk but um we like seasoning <laughs> on our fucking food and my stepmom can't yeah. cook to save her life and so you would get these like waterlogged oh. over easy eggs every and she'd be like I made you guys breakfast and I'd be like I'd rather eat fucking dog food <laughs> There's nothing worse than a poorly cooked egg. So you want to hear how terrible of a cook she is? We, My wife and I were engaged, I think, at the time, and we went out there for the holidays, and she's like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna make lasagna. And I was like, oh, great. Here we fucking go. Like, lasagna, you can really fuck up lasagna. <laughs> she's like, no, 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 no. I, I bought Stouffer's. I'm just going to make Stouffer's. And I'm like, okay, she can't really fuck that up. So we're eating it, and there was like a layer of sugar on the top. And I'm like, what the fuck? My dad likes sweet pastas because his mom was Italian, and so she made sweeter pastas. So my stepmom thought that was like licensed to stick fucking sugar on the top of stove top stovers fucking lasagna and stick it in the stove. That's wild. Well, at least it's layers. So you can just peel that top layer off, flip it right over, <laughs> and you should have a pretty decent lasagna. You're just missing out on that nice, you know, what should be a caramelized layer of cheese on top, right? Well, it's frozen nasty lasagna anyway. Like, like, what the fuck? I'm being optimistic. Yeah. No, it was horrendous. <laughs> when we go over there now, I bring food and cook it while I'm there because I know she's like, she's like going to try to cook something and it's going to be god awful. <laughs> Oh, dude, this last Thanksgiving, I saw a meme that made me so happy. And it was like, it said white people be seasoning their food like, and then it was John, it was, um, uh, Patrick Stewart. And he was like, uh, presenting the band from Saturday Night Live. And he's like, salt and pepper. (laughs) (laughs) I would have been happy for some goddamn salt and pepper, but you know, army of kids, seven or eight kids in the house at any given time, like whatever you can cook fast and just throw on the table is all she did and it you know i ate a lot of fucking potatoes because potatoes are cheap yeah and they have all you all the nutritional value you need right yeah nope no starch (laughs) i thought that that was the bit i didn't see it but i heard people discuss it wasn't that like the thrust of the martian that he was growing potatoes because it had complete nutritional value oh i don't know but it I mean, from a so I'm a nurse practitioner, right? So from my knowledge of of nutrition, which I specialize in mental health, so nutrition's not on the highest point in my knowledge base, but it's mostly just a heavy starch, and all the nutrients from it are in the fucking skin. And who eats the goddamn skins? Oh, I love the skins. The skins are the best part. You are a demon in disguise, sir. Dude, those the mashed potatoes, like the smashed potatoes that people do that have the skins in with it. Oh, fuck me up with that. I love it. Oh, I don't eat. I don't. I won't eat fucking potatoes unless it's in the form of a French fry and soaked in fucking grease. Dude, po- potato skins, baked potatoes, 
Fuck yeah, Ugh. dude. I, I love no. the potato. Like, the potato skin's my favorite part of the baked potato. It's so good. A good potato is only good if you put a gallon of butter on it. So <laughs> you're not really getting any fucking flavor from the potato. No, it's the butter and the cheese and, you know, that sour cream shit that people put on everything. Like, no. It's not the fucking potato that you like. <laughs> Dude, I had a roommate years ago and introduced me to the fact that Wendy's, you could go there and order a baked potato and a little cup of chili and then pour the chili on the baked potato. And it was like a fucking revelation to me. And so I was getting these fast food baked potatoes <laughs> with chili for the longest time. <laughs> they had those, uh, Wendy's had those awesome croutons for their salads. And I used to go and get like the, the large chili and like four bags of croutons. And the people behind the counter would get confused because they're trying to charge you for it, but they didn't have a code to charge you for the croutons. So they're handing me like five bags of goddamn croutons. But that was delicious if you put the croutons in the chili. That sounds amazing. I've never, ever put croutons in chili. Oh, my God, because gar- they got some garlic on it, so it gives you a little bit of that bite. Oh, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, have you ever tried putting pasta in chili, like macaroni elbows? Or like sp- some people even put spaghetti noodles in it. I've never tried that. No, we already decided that I'm not a demon and you are. The noodles don't go in your chili. <laughs> I thought it was That's weird the first time I saw it, but it's really not bad. <laughs> when you add noodles to it, it becomes goulash, sir. It is no longer chili. It is kind of a chili goulash, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I think it was on an episode of Pop Culture Leftovers a long time ago. We started talking about pizza pineapple and ham pizza and i said that i like that i like ham and sauerkraut pizza and they were like what the fuck i fucking remember that and i <laughs> fucking paused it pulled my car over threw up and then got back in my car and continued fucking driving because who the fuck would do that to a pizza dude i remember like when i was in high school i worked at this paul revere's pizza in the small town i worked at whenever people would order that and i'd have to like bend down under the like the 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 cooler that was like under the preparing table and reach way back into the depths of it and pull out the big plastic container of sauerkraut and reach into that cold mass of shredded cabbage and squeeze all the juice out of it and then like you know it's just hitting you in the face and like then you spread it all over the pizza it was an otherwise fantastic looking Canadian bacon pizza, but then you just dotted it all over with this smelly shredded cabbage and I remember thinking, how the fuck? could anybody eat this shit and that was my stance on sauerkraut for many years afterwards but then i got really drunk one night and somebody handed me a bratwurst that had uh ketchup and mustard and sauerkraut and i took one bite of it and i was like is this have fucking sauerkraut and the guy's like shut the fuck up just eat it and i was like all right and then i ate it and it was the best fucking brat i've ever had and i've loved sauerkraut ever since i i never i don't think i've ever had sauerkraut the smell alone is horrendous but when I was in, I was like a freshman in college for like the fifth time, because um, I was a perpetual student for forever. No, oh, we're but, gonna um, go back to a, that, but continue. <laughs> I had a uh, a science teacher, and I have two stories for this this bitch. But um, <laughs> I had a sci- <laughs> I had a science teacher that um, she was like, I think I was in chemistry, maybe I think it was uh, or uh, anatomy and physiology, one of those nursing prerequisite classes but she was like do you know where sauerkraut comes from like how we made sauerkraut in the beginning and i never googled this and i never double checked this so this could be total falsehoods but do you know where sauerkraut came from i can only imagine it's going to be something horrifying 
they used to take fucking cabbage, right, and chop it up and stick it in big fucking barrels. And they would take these barrels and they would stick them on the, you know, the front of their house or barn or whatever, and they would spit in it. And the <laughs> spit bacteria is what created sauerkraut to begin with. <laughs> That's horrifying. <laughs> That compounded with the smell. I was like, I'm never trying this fucking devil food. No, thank you. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure they don't make it with spit these days, so I'm going to con- continue to consume it, and I just won't think about the good old days. From a logic standpoint, I can't consider consuming a food that's predicated in the history of being spit on. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> like, as as a nurse and a father, I can deal with shit i can deal with vomit i can deal with blood and urine but i used to have to like they when they suction people they they suction them to these those canisters right that you see in all those wonderful er shows mm-hmm. well do you know what they do with those damn things they put like uh, a powder in it that basically congeals it and turns it into a jelly and i would throw up if i had to do that like i don't do spit i cannot do spit <laughs> i could do anything but spit oh i can't do spit and then like as a mental health nurse, when I was a mental health nurse coming up, you know, the fun ranks of being a nurse, you could kick me in the balls. I won't lose my cool. You could bite me, punch me, whatever. I took right crosses to the face, all kinds of shit, right? I understand it. You're psychotic. But if you spit in my face, I have to tap out because it is in my nature to automatically punch you in the face. So, I, I you know, there was a lot of times where I get spit. I'd be like, no, somebody else has got to help with this patient. I cannot do it. Wow. I mean, that makes sense, dude. Everybody's got their line. And I mean, yeah, spit is pretty. I mean, because like really the human mouth is like a den of bacteria. I've, I've heard like as far as like getting bit by any anything in the animal kingdom, getting bit by a human being is one of the worst things. Like if you're in a fight and oh, somebody bites you. Mouth. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Like if you're in a fight and somebody bites you, like you need to go to the fucking doctor stat because you're about to have a blood infection. <laughs> Your arm's about to swell up three times the size. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> so, so for my second story about this teacher and the reason I called her a bitch, um, we had a test, right? And we were going – it had – I don't know what the fuck class it was. But for extra credit on this test, you had to discuss – you'll get a kick out of this. If um, everything living and created on this earth – is uh, made up of all the same, you know, common things, electrons, protons, neutrons, you know, and all the periodic table and all that fun shit. Stardust, does this essentially. Prove or disprove, if, does this prove or disprove the existence of a god, right? And for the record, I'm agnostic. So I, I always take whatever, especially when I was younger, the, you know, I was always the devil's advocate or the guy that would always like, I'm going to give you a really smart explanation of the opposite thing that you assume that I'm going to say just because I thought it was fun. So because it was a science class, every, and she was an, an atheist, you know, like you, which is not a bad thing, whatever, everybody has their own shit. But I, I knew that she wanted everybody to say that it disproves the existence of God. So I, I came at it from my perspective. I was like, okay, so how do I make this make sense? When I was a kid, we used to get fucking Legos and the Legos had different pieces but they were all the same, right? You either had the four-piece, the two-piece, the three-piece, whatever. And I could build whatever the fuck I want with it. That doesn't mean a creator doesn't exist because everything's made of the same shit. You can make anything out of out of the, the building box. It's up to your imagination, right? And I was like, yes, this is going to get me the extra credit. And she fucking didn't give me the extra credit. I thought that was a very intellectual way of, of fucking trying to counteract her argument. Yeah. 
<laughs> just because matter seems to be organized, it doesn't mean necessarily there's the existence of like some higher, you know, higher being or something like that. But th that is an interesting argument, though. I mean, because it's as human beings, I feel like we just naturally want to categorize everything anyway. Like we always want to like separate everything out and like classify it and put a little label on it and say, that's what this is in I don't know. It's weird. If I start talking about physics that way, I'm going to start sounding really stupid. And also, I'm also realizing <laughs> that during that 50 minutes of waiting for the computer to update, those vodkas and cranberries I was drinking really caught up with me. So this might be the most lit I've ever been 20 minutes into a StarCast. <laughs> I'll let me wind you up and let you let you rip. <laughs> so there uh. was... It, I don't know why I'm stuck in my early college years, but um, there was another class I took at this community college, and it was English too. I had to take it for like the third time because I'm not stupid. I just was lazy and wanted to do whatever the fuck I wanted to do. But um, I'm in this class, and it was during the summer, and there's a, a local college here that's a religious college. Um, and so a lot of their students would leave the university over the summer and take the cheaper courses at the community college. So there was a lot of these students from this college in, in my English class. And the teacher, we were doing like a um, getting ready to write a persuasive paper. So she thought it would be you know, a good idea to split us in half and make us debate, you know, whatever, whatever, float your boat. I, I was, I don't know, whatever, fuck you. Um, so we split up <laughs> and it, the argument was um, arguing over faith and the, the existence of God so that she split us in to believers and atheists, right? So I sat on the atheist side because there's like two kids over there and I knew these religious fuckers were going to try to tout whatever they wanted to tout. And this girl, holier than now, is arguing that people are atheists because they don't want to feel like they have to answer for their decisions. And to me, that is a dumb fucking argument. So I looked at her and I said, you believe in the existence of a god so you don't have to take the moral decision or the moral aspect of any of the decisions you make because they're made for you then. And the bitch shut up and it was great. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of true. And I think that that's why so people can so casually do, you know, horrific inhumane things in the name of God is because they feel like they've got this, you know, blank check to be able to do it. So long as it's being, you know, so long as those credits are being spent in the proper way. And I, I think that's one of the like, I, I've always looked at religion as a double edged sword where, you know, it, it can cut one way and be a very positive, incredibly powerful force. But if it can also cut the other way and be a very destructive and powerful force, it kind of all depends on how it's wielded, because, you know, at our hearts, human beings want to belong to something. And and if you're fervently holding on to you know, just a blind faith in something and it's steering you to do atrocious things, then I think that in those moments, people need to take a step back and look at their faith and say, is this really what a just and kind and loving God wants you to do if it's something that's so horrible to another human being? And human history shows that not very many people take that step back and look at that because there's been a lot of fucked yeah, up we're, stuff We're selfish done. by nature. Yeah. yeah. We, we just want we want we're just you know selfish beings and i guess that's where the benefit of me being kind of more of a neutral party i don't fall into either camp i guess and so that neither camp likes me but you know then i'm i guess i'm more 
I guess, I don't know, giving when I feel like it, you know, but I can also pull back from people that are pieces of shit. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a good skill because there's lots of them out there. Um, do you know when people are absolutely not selfish though, people are at their most giving after disasters I've found. Um, I, I've had the, <clears throat> I don't know if you want to call it the misfortune or the, just the, the fucking blind luck of whatever I've, I've gone through like four natural disasters so far in the house, you know, the, the place where I've been living and, uh, People always really turn out after all that. I remember in 2008, after the flood that happened, the amount of volunteers that would just be like driving around in golf carts and just giving people, you know, free food, free cold bottles of Gatorade while we're here trying to, you know, clean all these, you know, flood damaged homes all over town. And and then also after some of the windstorms and stuff, we had people coming by and, you know, people just showing up and just be like, knock on your door. Hey. Me, me and these three guys, we just drove in, you know, from the other side of, of Illinois. We heard what happened and we just want to help. Is there anything we can do? Can we go, you know, clean up your yard, anything? And so, I mean, it is it is pretty amazing that in those moments where you really need humans to band together and help each other, they do. There are people in the populace that feel that call. And, you know, if it's whether it's faith doing it or just this feeling of empathy for their fellow human, whatever drives them to do it. That's one of the beautiful qualities of humanity. Yeah. I remember, um, I think I was a junior when nine 11 happened. Um, you know, and, and seeing all the people come together for that and just how great it was. Um, as far as, you know, people just showing up to help, you know, we, we, I don't think we're inherently bad. Um, I don't think we're inherently good. I think we're more, um, I don't know, in the gray, in the middle, like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Uh, it's hard to say, I guess. Well, yeah, if you're going to take a broad look at human beings, it couldn't be anything other than gray because we're so wildly varied. And when it comes to the wild variations be between humans and how some people, you know, could be a complete sociopath and have absolutely no empathy for people and other people could be so empathetic, you know, that, you know, they're they would literally give their last dime you know, to, to help a complete stranger, you know, it's such a wide variety. Do you think that that's mostly formed? Do you think that's formed in the womb? Like they just come out and it's baked into that person. This is how they're going to be in the world. Or do you think that human beings are the sum equivalent of their experiences that they had in their past? Ah, the good old nature versus nurture. Nature versus nurture. Absolutely. I don't think that it's that, that simply um you know explained in my opinion because so if we take for example my upbringing i'm the the second of eight i have two stepsisters and then six blood siblings you know and so i if i rule out the two blood siblings or the two stepsisters and we just go with like blood siblings um like i stand out as being the the successful one and all this and that and so we grew up in the same environment, which wasn't the best. You know, my parents were divorced. I had a god awful wicked witch of a stepmother who couldn't cook to save her life. Um, you know, and, and our parents, they, they had us when they were young. I think my mom was 16 when she had my older brother who's 11 months older than me. And I think my dad was 18. So they were really, really young, you know, during my early years and stuff. And then I, I think, you know, 
with our experiences being very similar, at least in the home environment, obviously we're not the same outside of the home because we can't, you know, nobody's exactly the same as anybody else. It comes to a point where you make a decision as a human being based on your, your interpretations and what you value, right? I just happen to be a super literal kid. And so I took, you know, right and wrong was, was white and black to me. It's funny because I live in the grade just naturally, but I was super literal as a kid. And so I just make the decision. And like, I don't know. I remember, I think we were, I think in eighth grade, because my brother's an idiot and he failed. So he was in the same grade as me. So we went to like the fair and there was this guy, you know, cleaning the toilets and stuff. And my brother was making fun of him or whatever. And I gave him a tip. Like I just gave him some of my money, which I didn't have very much. I was in eighth grade or whatever. And it's just the difference in decision-making, you know, there was, there's nothing inherently different in our genetic makeup or our environmental makeup. It's just at some point we, we made different decisions on how we were going to interact with human beings. Yeah, that makes sense. And and so for you, it's so. Do you think that Sorry, that, that was funny? That will... <laughs> so do you think that that's yeah, like that makes sense? <laughs> yeah, that's probably not the best. Way. Like I said, lots of cranberry vodkas before we even started here. <laughs> okay, well, no. So so based off that, so you're saying you know for the most part, you know, home life was exactly the same, and you know, experiences outside, who knows. And, you know, you chose to give give money. He chose, you know, to crack a joke at it. So do you think that that's something that's more baked in or or do you think that, you know, did did you have some sort of experiences in your life that in your younger life that you feel like made you more empathetic towards people or I mean, because I definitely see it with my kids, you know, even from the time that they were toddlers, they're very, very different, you know. Um, I don't I guess it might be the little things, right? Like not the waves that make you. It might be the little things or the ripples that we see the differences, right? And nobody fucking knows, right? Psychology is not an exact science. And um, understanding human nature, if we understood it, you know, we'd all be robots working for a Fuhrer right now. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, no shit. Somebody would be profiting off that. Exactly. So I, I think... I think nature definitely has a very big impact, but studies show from like, a, let's say just anxiety in general, or um, obviously bipolar has, now we're getting to diagnoses, but anyways, um, different psychological responses, natural tendencies, definitely are genetic links, right? So, you know, if a woman is pregnant and she's experiencing high levels of anxiety, that natural blood chemistry that exists within the woman, the release of the neurotransmitters and, you know, all the body hormones and all the stuff that accompanies that will carry over into the child. And studies have shown then then that child will be more prone to an anxious reaction. And then, you know, like we were talking about prior to getting on um, our foundational, you know, um, our foundational experiences will definitely shape our natural coping mechanisms as we grow up and as we interact with the world. And so if you have the propensity from a natural standpoint to react in a self-preservation manner due to anxiety or whatever, and then that is then reinforced by environmental stimulus, then 
your propensity for self-preservation will be that much higher. Ah, and that absolutely does make sense. I, I'd heard that before also about if, uh, you know, if a pregnant mother is, you know, experiencing lots of stress, then that can transition over to the baby. And, you know, that's, do you think that that's just, well, that's how evolution works, right? If, 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 a, if yeah, a pregnant, because if, you, yeah. If, you, if you're born, if you're born into an environment with natural predators that are really high, then you would want your offspring to be more prepared and learn faster from that environment for natural preservation. Now, do you think that's just like the chemical thing, you know, like what you said there? Or like going like a little bit more fantastical look like a la Frank Herbert. Do you think there's some sort of cellular memory at play? Do you think it's weird that that little kids are afraid of monsters with big sharp teeth and claws coming out of the dark? Because um, you know, where does that I, really so there's come like a from? Fine line between you have to take you know instinct and understanding of like threatening things, softer curves versus sharp edges. You, we never know when a child like develops that fear because it's super hard to say because there's always the influence of the parent. You know what I mean? Like the parent is always keeping the kid away from sharp corners or this, that, and the other. Um, you know, what we do know is males are, have a tendency to ignore that more than females, which is why we're more accident prone and we don't, you know, whatever, <laughs> but that also allows us to fight, you know, the big fucking bear. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't think it's necessarily memory so much as the cultural and like the, um, family and all that stuff impacts that it, it would be, we would have to go to the chicken and the egg back to the very first human being and be like, you know, is this something that they were naturally afraid of without any influences? And you can't really do those type of experiments. Like you can't just take some baby and like, <laughs> we'll find out if he's afraid of this fucking bear or not. You know what I mean? Cause it's inhumane. So like, it, it's hard to say, but if I had to guess, I think it's more the environment that teaches that. I don't think it's like the cellular memory and there's so much stuff that we don't, we don't know about the past. It's, I, I always find it hilarious, right? So you see all these like cave drawings and all this stuff of, of creatures and beings and all this stuff. Like I believe in the existence of, you know, extraterrestrials, whatever, but I just don't think that it's, it's logical to think that we're the only thing. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that prove or just, it, it doesn't prove or disprove the existence of a creator either, in my opinion. But because like you see these pictures of these, of these beings that, you know, ancient people have drawn, people aren't dumb. Our average intelligence is about the same. We haven't gotten smarter from an intellectual standpoint. It's not like, you know, a thousand years ago, it was a hey, wall, wall, no, like, like 250,000 years ago, they had the same brain that you and I got today. Like that's exactly. wild. So, so, you know, it's, it's environmental definitely plays a big picture and, and we've been about the same for the existence of mankind. And, you know, who knows? Who knows? I don't know. There are smarter people than me that don't know. <laughs> I love I love talking about this stuff, dude. It's so fascinating. And, and, you know, there's no solid answers because, you know, it's 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 just there's too many unknowns. There's too many variables in it. And like you said, to like actually try and craft 
some sort of experiment to do that, it would be absolutely inhumane. It would be like some Black Mirror shit. Like when they talk about people building buildings that they didn't have the technology to build and, you know, there's the argument of slave power and all that fun stuff. But like, you know, the pyramids and, you know, you watch Ancient Aliens, you see that crazy dude talk about all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Giorgio Tsoukalos? Yeah, he's fucking hilarious. Just because, <laughs> <laughs> just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that it's not possible. If I told you, Joe Stark, build me a computer and I gave you the raw material to do it, you would look at me like I was some kind of fucking weirdo for asking you to do it. But someone, somewhere, figured out how to put silicone and metal and electricity and all this shit together to create the fucking computer. So who who knows what exists and what is possible and what is not possible? It takes those super creative people to question reality and function and come up with something new. No, that's absolutely true. Because, like... Uh, earlier when you were talking about the sauerkraut thing, it, it it started making me think about, you know, how do we even have recipes for all this food and stuff? Like, like who's the first person to figure out beer? Like, it, it's fucking wild. And beer's very, very, very old. And from what I had read about it, it was that beer was actually created first is because it was hard to have pot or was it potable or potable? You know, the potable. Yeah, potable water. And so beer was something that would last a lot longer and so that's why so many things was beer and wine, because you could actually keep that stuff. It had a, sh- a stable shelf life for longer. But it was like, how did they actually get to that point where they're like, OK, we're going to take this grain and then we're going to mix it with these hops and we got to put some yeast in here. And then we got to I know there's some stuff with with fucking tubes. <laughs> it's like, how the fuck did they come up with all this shit? And it's it's just observation. Right. So. Are you being observant of the environment that you're in? So let's take uh, sailors and scurvy and citrus or people that salted meats and, and all that kind of stuff. Somebody somewhere was like, hey, I've been eating a lot of fucking oranges and I didn't get scurvy like the rest of these motherfuckers. Why don't we all eat oranges? And sure as shit, you know, citrus is preventing scurvy, you know, stuff like that. Or even um, the use of antibiotics in the treatment of bacterial infections, right? It was a fucking accident. Somebody fucking left orange peels next to a Petri dish that they were trying to figure out how to kill this bacteria, and the mold grew and ate the goddamn bacteria, and lo and behold, now we have antibiotics. (laughs) Happy accidents, and with this, like, never-ending supply of humans to just try this trial and error on. It's a... It's amazing how many people are on this earth now that you say endless supply of humans. There's a ton of us. It's ridiculous. Oh, I know. That's why – go get controversial here for a minute. That's why when people like give a shit so strongly about abortion, it's like there's like fucking nine billion of us. Even if you're religious – like you're coming from a religious view of, you know, like, well, God told us to be fruitful and multiply. multiply. It's like, yeah, fucking mission accomplished. There's so many people here. It's 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 okay. Don't 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 make that lady raise that child if she doesn't want to. But I don't know. I I'm not trying to steer you into controversial waters. <laughs> no, that's that's fine. I don't again, I'm a neutral person. I feel like there are situations where either could apply depending on ind- individual morality, but I also feel like it's not my job to go into your house and be like, mm, "No, you don't get to choose what you do with your vagina." And what grows in your womb? Uh-uh. No, that's just retarded. I don't want somebody coming into my house 
and telling me that I can't scratch my balls when I want to. Like, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. So I think from that standpoint, like, whatever makes sense to you. The problem is, is then it gets extrapolated into these conspiracy theories and control and, you know, uh, oh, well, we've got to do population control. So they release COVID and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, God, people, like, why don't we just do what's right for us? You know, and and just worry about getting better. (laughs) Population control. (laughs) Like, you're taking the vaccine and they're doing it so they're going to kill you. It's like, why would they kill all the people that, like, listen to directions? (laughs) We're the The, people they like. A lot of that argument, (laughs) the the same people that say the vaccine is going to kill you are the same people that say that the government released it for fucking population control, which makes no sense, right? So the one thing that really pisses me off about the whole COVID thing is the lack of education from just a general standpoint by the CDC. When I was a nurse, I'm not a virologist. Obviously, I specialize in psychology, which is why we've touched on it several times. But in nursing, when we learned about viruses and viruses 101, right, viruses don't really want to kill you, okay? Because if they kill you, they can't spread because viruses cannot reproduce on their own, which is why they invade a cell of whichever kind that is suits them or makes them, you know, get the raw materials that they need to replicate. Okay. So they don't want to kill you because if they kill you, they can't go to the next person and make more little virus babies. They also don't want your body to fight them. So the more deadly and, and the faster that it spreads, the, the more it's going to have to then adapt because the, the virus that lives longer in transports from, from Joe Stark into Rodney is the one that might be just slightly different, right? So viruses are, are changing for the most part. So the faster changing and the more um, symptoms that you have from this, the more likely that this, this virus is going to mutate into something that becomes less killy, okay? So what does this mean? This means in the early stages of this, this pandemic, Anybody that's immunocompromised, um, the elderly, you know, that have pre-existing conditions, all that stuff, they're the most fragile because this is the time when the virus is going to be the most deadly because the symptoms are going to kill you. And the more serious symptoms are still going to be present because they haven't morphed out of, of the virus as it changes. And then as it goes on and it keeps changing, that means it's going to infect more people, but it's going to be less serious to the general public, Okay. So the controversy, in my opinion, is do we say, okay, we know that if we allow this virus to continue to spread, it's going to mutate really fast because this is a, a even faster mutating virus and eventually become the common cold 2.0. But we're okay with the massive amount of people that are going to die in the beginning that are the elderly and immunocompromised, or do we as a populist Take the people that are healthier, that don't necessarily have to worry as much about the deadliness of it because we're younger and we have the natural stuff. Give them a vaccine so that those people are not spreading it, thus slowing down the spread, slowing down the mutation process, okay, and and spreading out basically the amount of people that are going to die from the virus, right? So from the immunocompromised to the healthy because as the virus stays along it'll stay in the phases where it is more dangerous to everybody versus the one because as it mutates it's going to change who it's deadly to right which is why 
if you look at COVID in the beginning, there was definite clear boundaries of the percentages, and then it kind of gets a little more muddied as we go along. So from a government standpoint, if they wanted to control population, they would have said, yeah, there's no such thing as a vaccine. Everybody just spread this because the old and the, the people with all these pre-existing conditions are more of a tax on the economy. They're less productive and they're, they cost money in, in the form of Medicare, Medicaid, right? You're talking your, um, your, uh, uh, people of minority and color and that included, right? So if that was their true goal, they would have just let it happen, right? It doesn't make sense to give your more productive people and, like you said, your more compliant people a vaccine that's going to kill them or make them sterile or whatever. It doesn't make sense because they want to, from the top down, they want the people that are willing to work and make the people up top more money to continue to produce people because they're likely to instill the same you know, ethical concepts in their children. So that that whole argument is dumb to me on top of I wish somebody would have explained what viruses do, why they do what they do, what the per, what the um, logical conclusion of the course of this type of um, pathogen and why they recommend you to do what you do. Because I, I can't see most people putting their arms up and be like, ah, still, I don't give a fuck. They're killing people. We don't need vaccines. Like, it doesn't – it's stupid. But – but at, as a society, we would rather be critical of the experts and look for the flaws in their arguments and then negate every bit of information that preexisted or comes thereafter. And then now, now the experts are not incentivized to educate, which leads to the split of the populace and some people that want a vaccine and some people say wear a mask and some people say don't wear a mask. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of that's perpetuated by – you know, social media echo chambers, which are basically just moron mills that are just turning people out that, you know, this like the Herman Cain Award subreddit, you know, it, it wouldn't exist if it weren't for the fact that there's some people who, you know, like we were saying earlier, people crave for community and belonging. And if they find their community is this anti-vax thing and then they're just staunchly anti-vax and they're surrounded with this social media echo chamber of, of, yeah, the vaccine's bad, fuck that. And then before you know it, you're seeing social media posts by their friends that they died of COVID from something that they could have gotten a vaccine had it not been, you know, politicized, uh, turned into this monster by, you know, echo chambers on social media. And also the, you know, the media tends to want to report sensationalized news. And so... It almost seems like some of them are are disinterested in just getting these professionals on. And also so many people just don't understand the scientific method either, that science is a ever evolving process. And so at the beginning of the prophet, at the beginning of this, when they were saying, you know, oh, cloth masks are absolutely effective. And then months later, they're saying, no, cloth masks aren't, aren't as effective. It's because the science evolved. But people who don't understand that scientific method don't understand that you know, science is this never-ending quest for the truth. And so when new evidence comes to light, the science changes to accept that evidence. It's not something where there's feeling behind it and saying, mm, I don't like this, so I'm not going to accept it. It's like, no, this is truth that is backed up by, you know, a fact that can be proven by a repeatable scientific experiment. And there's just as many people in the scientific world that want to disprove stuff as prove it. And so that's kind of what makes it this excellent 
thing for finding this truth. And I, I think the media has a hard time portraying that because it's not a sexy, sensationalized story. And, you know, these online echo chambers have their own reasons for not, you know, bringing this stuff to light. But it, it's pretty maddening watching it. It, it makes me absolutely believe that it, a zombie apocalypse could be possible, that people would just fucking walk into incoming hordes of the undead. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Again, like I said, that's my understanding of viruses, so nobody send me messages. That's just, you know, I'm not an expert, but that's my understanding from my nursing background. But I remember, and you, you said something about the mask. There was a little bit of fuckery, right? So when, when COVID first happened, the CDC was telling hospitals, and I was working in a, in a mental health hospital at the time, like, no, no, don't wear masks. Uh, masks actually make you spread it faster because you're touching your face and blah, 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 blah. Well, they knew that it was airborne. We just didn't have the masks on hand because, you know, who who's our number one supplier of masks? China, who had the, the virus first? China. Do you think China wants to get rid of their masks that they're giving their people to other countries? Fuck no. You know, so I, I get it. There was some fuckery there where um, there was misinformation. But if we look at the data for – God, I, I hate talking about important intellectual stuff. We got to talk about dumb shit soon. But anyways um, – you look at the data on is a mask good or isn't a mask good, right? We knew from the beginning that only specific masks 100% are stopping the majority of the spread, right? That doesn't mean that adding a layer isn't going to add a layer of protection, right? Um, so wearing something is, in my opinion, better than nothing. But then you take the average intelligence of, of somebody that is not medical, that doesn't either believe in it or is is fi actively fighting against it or is looking for a reason not to wear it, how often are they washing their mask? What type of mask are they buying? How often are they replacing the mask that they're using? So that data about cloth and some of these other masks just doing nothing is also skewed by the general public's lack of adherence and lack of knowledge and lack of care. No, that's totally true because, you know, if you, if you're not – that kind of like, you know, if you if you don't have your seatbelt on correctly, it's not going to help you in a crash. It needs to be on correctly. And, and just like with the mask. Yeah, I totally agree. Let's steer away from this into silly shit. <laughs> this is dreadfully so, serious right now. And neither of us are qualified. You're far more qualified than I am to talk about it. Like I'm my scientific stops at like college biology for non-majors. <laughs> uh so Bubba Fett had a couple of good episodes, <laughs> and the rest of it was mostly shit. And, and, and I'm pretty sure that most people agree with that. I was so let down by the idea of of already not having faith in a property that you went ahead and you know put in the Mandalorian season three and Ahsoka's season uh, one first episodes like. You knew before you put this product out that it wasn't good, so you added shit to it instead of staying true to a central story with Boba Fett. Normally you see that on like season two. They're like, oh, let's spice up season two and add Mando because nobody likes season one. They already fucking knew that Boba Fett wasn't flying, so they added shit in before they released it. <laughs> see, to me, it's like, I don't know. That almost feels like a step too far. That, you know, in the midst of writing it, they were like, oh, the, we, we, we need to just write this in differently. I, I almost feel like it was just some some wild choices 
that that were made because like like your scenario almost makes it look like it's re like reactive right but but no, it, it can't so, be if if it's still in the creation process because for sure they weren't you know filming these first episodes before you know five four five and six or no it'd be five six five and six were the Mandalorian heavy ones. So let's go back to food because you and I like food. If I came <laughs> to your house, Joe, and I brought, I was like, hey, let's have steak, and you're like, yeah, steak sounds amazing. So I go to the store and I'm like, oh, our plan is to have steak, but they only have these $2 steaks that look like ass and are turning brown. But we really wanted to do steak. So I'm going to grab this ass steak. I'm going to bring it over to your house and we're going to look at it and we're going to be like, this is ass steak. You know what will make this ass steak better? Let's throw a fucking full stick of butter on each of our pieces of ass steak. Ooh, I don't know if that's going to be enough, Joe. Let's grab this awesome Cajun seasoning and throw that on top. We already knew that it was ass steak to begin with. We're just covering it up by adding fucking butter and and good seasoning. That's the way that I view Mandalorian <laughs> in Boba Fett. <laughs> so Boba Fett is the ass steak, is what you're saying? Yeah, well, but it comes from like the good idea. Like it's the good idea of let's have steak. Everybody loves steak. <laughs> we love steak. And then when we they fucking sit and look at it, they're like, "Well, oh, this is kind of ass." So let's stick some shit in it. If I'm gonna be completely honest about Book of Boba Fett. I think if they would have taken everything out with the the Vespa gang, the mods, I think if they would have taken all of them out, it would have improved the season overall. And in in its like, I don't want to talk trash on anybody's craft or the performances that they put in or anything like that. It's I just don't feel like they fit. Like if if this were taking place on Coruscant. I think they would have fit in just fine because Coruscant's a it's a bustling metropolis. The entire planet is a city. But in Tatooine, they just they don't they don't fit. It's it's just weird. And and I feel like that weirdness took away. They would have had to like show them constantly polishing their shit like you have to give me visual story to explain why these people are are crisp and clean on a pile of fucking sand. Otherwise, it's just going to look awkward and stupid. In, in I think the Boba Fett, in my honest opinion, suffers because the story I think that they wanted to tell was the sand people and Boba Fett. And then somebody was like, well, we're putting the Fab Team 5 together, so we need Mandalorian and Ahsoka to show up. And so then they had to write this shit steak story and then add the good fucking toppings to it. Holy shit, dude. You might be onto something right there. If they were like, hey, we need to, you know, we need to move along this story with with um, with the Mandalorian and Grogu so that they're positioned to be together at the top of season three. Dude, you might really be onto something with that. And then having the Ahsoka thing in there also. So so close your mind off of everything that pre-exists for anything, anything, okay? So then I'm going to take the story of um, Marvel. Marvel said, we have these three things. We're going to let them stand independently and throw very small Easter eggs in to then build to this awesome deck that we have now, right? That is a very solid plan. You still, you, you put out some complete stories for individual characters and built them up. Then you have the DC problem. They had like maybe one solid 
Batman story, and then they look over and like, oh shit, we want to have Marvel because that's super fucking profitable. So then they do all this shit to shoehorn shit in and tell half of one story with a shoehorn in because we want to jump from step one to step ten. Which one of those two stories sounds like the current state of the the Star Wars and this Boba Fett? Yeah, it, it does feel like, I don't know. I think even if you really loved this season of Boba Fett, you you can't get away without admitting that this was a disjointed season of storytelling. You know, I mean, it's exactly it goes way. I mean, granted, the two episodes I loved the most are the ones that went the most off track. And so that's got to be some sort of damning indictment for what they were doing before they gave us those ones that, that I enjoyed so much. And that being said, I loved the second episode with the train heist. It was really, really incredible, but man, there were some lows in the first one. And then the whole chess, the chase scene, and then the, the mod gang in the third episode kind of brought it down for me quite a bit. And, and I just didn't like them in the finale. Like they, they were the parts of the finale that I didn't really like. The finale to me, the part that that stood out even more, like I, I write them off. The Power Rangers are their own fucking shit. They just ride around and they <laughs> play on the Star Wars stuff. Whatever. The, the thing that tells me that there was some problem in the story is when, and I'm sorry, I love Star Wars, but I don't, I have not watched the animated series. Uh, bug-eyed, red-faced, double gun man. Uh, when he's like pushing the buttons, Cad Bane, uh, God bless you. When they're when he's pushing the the narrative of like oh do you know who really killed the sand people like that was completely disjointed from any type of motivation and character development from Boba I had no idea where Boba stood on that did he move past it is he still on that because you have this big chasm in the middle of the Boba story and there was no development of like. You know, I didn't even know that he thought that he had closure on who killed the sand people because they didn't fucking tell me like, you know what I mean? And so there's no push or pull with him from an emotional standpoint as a character when Cad Bane, Mr. Cadbury Bunny talks about, you know, who actually killed the sand people. No, that's really valid um, because they did. They just left all of the Boba Fett stuff hanging and then we didn't get it all in episode five. There was none of it. And then in episode six, there was, I mean, I, I did Boba say maybe one or two words in episode six. And then, yeah, then we just jump right into episode seven. And man, I mean, it, it, I, I think a valid argument can be made that they did Boba dirty in, in his own series. <laughs> I mean, they set him up to be absolutely outshined. Dirty. I mean, how could it not be a setup to be outshined by the Mandalorian when you're gonna give the you're gonna give Din Djarin his own solo episode in the book of Boba Fett, and you're gonna give this fucking DH Luke Skywalker teaching Grogu and a conversation with Ahsoka Tano? It's like, yeah, no, man. That that right there is that is without a doubt, even on paper, the high point of your season. And your main character, the the that the that the series is named after, isn't even in that episode. That's a wild choice. All that being said, I fucking love that episode so much. So much. Yeah, but it belonged at the beginning of Mandalorian season three. 
I'll take it where I got it. I'm fine with it. It's on streaming. I can yep. skip right to okay, it. So, Joe, let me pitch you on my idea to fix this season. Instead, of, take all of that out, right? Just all of that out, right? And you say um, Boba Fett is putting out feelers for people to help, right? Okay, no no specific contact. You hear the, the music for the Mandalorian, whatever. Then you see him, you know, delving into why he wants to create this new empire. Because all, all we see now is, like, he's a bounty hunter that wants to run this cartel, basically, but he doesn't want to push the drugs and he doesn't want to abuse the people, but that that's the role he wants to take over. But he's motivated by his experiences with the sand people, but we kind of dropped them after two episodes. There wasn't really any great closure with that, inv- that interaction or whatever. So let's, let's fix all of that shit and, and, and get some motivation. But in the middle of it, I want him to fucking train with this goddamn monster in the basement. So that way when the monster in the basement shows up in the last episode, it's not just like, oh, we knew this was coming because my boy Danny Trejo said it was super cool four episodes ago. Like, let's <laughs> tell a story about Boba Fett. And, and, right, and then when you see that the, the, the sheriff gets shot, right? I shot the sheriff, and then I really shot the fucking deputy. When, when that <laughs> you sure happens, did. <laughs> when all that happens, and like Boba Fett's down on his luck, and you know him riding on—I forget what the hell that thing is called. Um, what the fuck is that big monster called? It's a rancor. Rancor. Oh my god, I'm pulling a Joe Stark and can't remember shit. I should know. <laughs> it happens, dude. Um. <laughs> oh god. When he's on that rancor, something happens. Blah blah blah. Now he looks down on his luck. He's got ragtag people showing up and not really the gun guy that he wanted in the sheriff. And all of a sudden, Mando comes in out of nowhere to help at the very end with maybe um, a couple other Mandalorians or whatever. And they show up and they kill and like, okay, now we're on even ground now. That to me is a better story where you have a complete story about Boba Fett, who's the fucking show's named after. Development of his people, development of his feelings an actual relationship with him in the Rancor because all of a sudden he can just ride the goddamn thing, whatever. And then you still get your Mandalorian at the end because he comes in with, you know, some Mandalorian people. Like to me, that's a better story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely a solid argument because, you know, you, you can't argue that this was a perfect season. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a single person out there that would say every single episode in this season was absolutely stellar. Um, yeah, it's it's a tough one. Um, you know, and for me, it's like it always takes me a little bit of distance to get past it, because I remember when Rise of Skywalker first came out, you know, when I saw it in the theater. I was like, it has its issues, but overall, I still like it. And then the more I got away from it, like the 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 further time went by. And then eventually it came out on digital. By that time, I started watching it, and I've still never made it through a second viewing of that movie. Just because the... That movie the, doesn't exist in my mind. <laughs> the dull spots, like, it, it, it sucked all the other goodness out of it. I almost started it the other day. Um, just because, um, well, after seeing Luke in, in episode five... I was like, God damn, I really want to see that showdown he had with Kylo Ren at the end of The Last Jedi. And so I fast forwarded all the way through Last Jedi just to watch that scene on Crate. And it was so awesome that, you know, I ended up watching the whole rest of the movie. And then when it was done, I was like, 
damn, I think I should I should probably start Rise of Skywalker. And then I was like, no. And I ended up watching like the second episode of season two of The Witcher instead, which, by the way, I'm fucking loving season two of The Witcher. Oh, it's amazing. Wait till you get to the end. Oh, yes. I'm so happy to hear that. Oh, it, 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 it sticks the landing. It's a very solid season. I binged it. We went to Disney and I watched it on the flight there and on the flight back. Oh my God. <laughs> nice. But um, it's a huge indictment on a series when you're, you're watching it. And in the middle of the story, you tell yourself you'd rather see more of a different story than the actual thing you're watching. Whereas the story done right, it is, I can't wait to finish this story because these, these sprinkle of good things. I can't wait for the next chapter of these stories together versus I can't wait for this totally other thing. Oh, dude. And speaking of that, I cannot absolutely, I cannot wait for season <laughs> three of the Mandalorian. I just can't fucking wait. I, you know what? I don't think there'll be a season two of Boba Fett though. I don't, I don't even know what you would do because even the clan leaders for all the other clans just like, let's randomly ice them at the end of this episode. Oh, I wonder how it would be accepted by the fan base if they were to say season two of it. But you never know with Star Wars, dude. There's a hardcore group of people out there that still want Solo too. Like, they want it fucking bad. Oh, I love Solo. I enjoyed Solo so much. Yeah, Solo was one where it was like, I didn't hate it. I didn't I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. Um, there was a couple parts in it that I thought were, were pretty stupid. But overall, I thought it had a lot of good action scenes. Um I, I liked the promise it set up at the end. If they did announce a solo two, I wouldn't be somebody being like, we don't need this. Blah, 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 blah. Fuck this. I'd be like, no, give it to me. That's cool. Let's see what you do. Give me, give me it's more live action. Had Darth Maul. Right to be. It the, had no right to be good at all. <laughs> Donald Glover's performance in it was so good. Uh, the droid that yeah, he was right. with that ended up becoming part of the millennium Falcon. I thought that that was really cool. Um, all the Chewbacca stuff in it was really, really great. It's just, it's really hard to have anybody else play a young Han Solo. But now that we've seen this stuff with Luke, I mean, I know it would be a huge slight to, to whatever his name is. I'm not thinking of it right now. Alden, Aaron Aldenreich. But man, it would be pretty cool to see a de-aged Han Solo running around, you know, or a de-aged Harrison Ford running around as a young Han Solo. I've watched The Irishman. I don't like that movie. I don't like that show. So well, don't do that obviously somebody else needs to be doing the running around and they just stitches. Because that's what they did with Luke. Did you know that that scene where Din Djarin gets, you know, pulled over by the two X-Wings and there's the older one and then the younger pilot? That younger pilot is the one that actually is the body double for Luke Skywalker in all those scenes. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. So they kind of gave him that scene as a little here. We'll show you your real face. You know, in this scene. Have you ever seen the picture of Sebastian Stan? Yes. Skywalker? Yes, it looks oh so God. close, doesn't it? If Dude. he could be fucking Tommy and swing up one type of lightsaber, <laughs> he can be Luke and swing another. I, that's what I was just going to say. Have you seen Pam and Tommy? No, uh-uh. Oh, Dude, those first three episodes were so fucking good. Um, I've just been swamped this week, so I didn't get a chance to watch episode four yet, but it's it's high on my to-do list. So kind of like when we were in, we're talking uh, before, you know, you're like, oh, if this gets a little too much like your day job, you know, let me know. I can't watch dramas. I can't watch true life stories and 
and those types of series and movies because what I do, you know, basically as the nurse version of a psychiatrist, I'm inundated with so many horrific, traumatic stories, other people's emotions and, and that kind of stuff. When I get home, it's got to be either, you know, high fantasy, sci-fi, or just straight up action, you know, or comedy. I can't, I cannot do, you know, and, and I, I listen to PCL, so now I know that the Pam, uh, Pam and Tommy is more of a comedy. But to me, like, I was not interested in any of that because I don't, I can't do reality 24-7 all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. There's, there's genres that I absolutely steer away from because it's like, I, 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 I get it when a movie is really, the performances in it are absolutely powerful and you are really empathizing with these characters and feeling their heartache. And, and it gets you to the point where you get emotional and you're crying and, and you're really feeling that down feeling with them. But like, I feel like the world has enough of that on tap anyway that I don't really need to go and seek it out for my entertainment. So even though I'll watch a movie like that, like there was this movie called, I think it was called four days and it was with Glenn close and, and is it Mila Kunis and where she's playing this addict. That's got to go for this stretch of time before she can get into this detox, like rehab program and like all this <clears throat> hell that she's been putting her mother through, you know, by being an addict and, you know, I can't imagine anything harder than than being a parent and having to to watch your kid go through an addiction that absolutely changes their personality and turns them into somebody that that you can't trust. And, you know, you're just watching them self-destruct and ruin their lives. And there's absolutely nothing that you can do because they need to be the one to make that call and find that inner strength to pull themselves away from that addiction and take those first steps to get help and then keep going on that same trail. And that movie did all those things perfectly. And it had me just crying an absolute mess. And it was a beautiful movie with amazing performances, but I don't ever want to watch it again. And if it weren't for the fact that I would, I reviewed that for the scenic cast, I never would have fucking dived into that pool because I'm not, I, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want that emotion. I don't know. I will never <laughs> voluntarily be like, why don't I put this movie in? I can empathize with these people that are really going through a fucking tough time and I can feel like shit too. But at the end, maybe I'll feel a little better because, Hey, that's not actually my life. It's like, I'm, I'm just not into that. Like I'm a hundred percent with you. Give me, give me awesome sci-fi. Give me, give me fantasy stories. Give me something great from the MCU. Give me something that's going to make me laugh, but dude, something that's going to bring me down and, and, and make me face the, the ugly, truth of what the reality of being a human in this world is nah <laughs> there's enough of that on tap in real life right even even like some of the medical stuff and even in that case i also know the background of like the flaws with our insurance system and the 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 hoops you have to jump through and um so like for example with addiction when i worked as a nursing supervisor for a mental health hospital if you walked in joe and you wanted help for for your addiction and you wanted to go inpatient because you knew that that was the only way you were going to stop using what you've used and you come in and, and the last time you used was you know 24 48 hours ago but you're not actively withdrawing it so it's not something that we actively treat with medicine we don't admit you we have to send you home until you're actively withdrawing 
and then we can admit you because of the parameters and insurance and the way all that shit works. And the, uh, the other option is to send you to a medical hospital for whatever else so they could hold you until you're actively withdrawing. But with all those hoops, that's just one more step that you can go use again or you can go do something to get yourself, you know, worse in, in as far as kicking the can down the fucking road. It's just so terrible. Yeah, dude, like kind of touching on that. Do you think that like the money that's within our healthcare system really has it fucked up? Oh, it's it's uh, we I I sent you that message when you were talking about um the the good RX, right? And so mm-hmm. it's my obligation as a provider and in my opinion and not everybody's the same way I act on the best interest of my patient with the caveat that you have the ultimate decision, right? So um, some patients love that. Some patients hate it. Some people want to be told what to do and that this is exactly what you should do as far as medication or whatever. I always sit down and be like, okay, this is where you're at. This is where I think we can go. These are the options that you, you can have to get there if that's where you want to go. And if you want to go that way, which, which avenue do you want to take, right? But then – Insurance companies will say, hey, Rodney, did you know, study, this study has shown that this brand of medication is better at treating what you're treating. Well, that wasn't my patient's decision. That wasn't our decision. So why are you telling me that I should switch if the patient is doing well and the patient is feeling good and the patient has bought into treatment? Because part of the medication for mental health is predicated on the patient buying into the treatment and and actively taking the medication and then taking the steps to fix some of the underlying things, right? So it's just, it's stupid and unethical for, for me to make medication changes based on an insurance recommendation because that is also being influenced by pharmaceutical companies and research bodies that are definitely influenced by pharmaceutical companies and all kinds of stuff. Or um, let's say you're on a medication and let's say you're on uh, Zoloft. Zoloft is an SSRI. It's used to treat. It's, a, it's classified as an antidepressant, which is a dumb name to give a medicine because then it gives all kinds of stigmas, but whatever. So it falls into that class of medication. So it's going to augment your serotonin and your, and your neurotransmitters. If I put you normally on the normal starting dose, which is 50 milligrams, right? And you're doing okay, but you're not perfect. And we decide together that we want to do an increase, right? Because dosing for, for Zoloft goes anywhere from 25 milligrams up to 200. Average adult, based on studies, is 100 to 200 milligrams, whatever. I, we get you to 75 milligrams, Joe, and you're perfectly fine and you're feeling great. Then an insurance company is going to send me a letter saying that they want me to increase you to 100 or taper you off of the medication because according to their studies, 75 milligrams isn't a therapeutic dose for the medicine. But Joe, you're doing really fucking good. You don't need an increase. And we don't want to decrease because you're you're finally stable after 10 years of of struggling with some anxiety and depression. Like where, where is, why is that a piece to the way that, that we have to treat our patients? Yep. The, it's the dirty influence of money. And somewhere along the line, there's somebody viewing a fucking spreadsheet <clears throat> that has a number in red that they don't want to see in red anymore. And so they're looking at these things. And, and also, it's like, do you really believe studies that like 
It's like, okay, here's independent studies that point one way. It's kind of like when the tobacco companies had a bunch of scientists that were saying the smoking's not detrimental to your health. It's yeah, like, right. It's like, who's, who's paying for these studies? Oh, R.J. Reynolds is paying for that study. Yeah, I don't know if I believe you fucking people. Or, or all the scientists yeah, exactly. back in the day that were arguing that that you know leaded gasoline is fine. It's it's not putting all this lead out into the atmosphere around us that we're all breathing. And you know, look up the history on that if you want to be really fucking disturbed. There's a great episode in the first season of Cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson where they cover the leaded unleaded gasoline, and it will freak you the fuck out. When it comes to these big giant corporations with all this money to lose, if that status quo changes and the truth about this science comes out. And so, man, whenever whenever it's tied into money, it it, it always makes me feel really uneasy just because human nature is too fallible when it comes to money. And, and, and when you throw in healthcare decisions on top of it, it's like, yeah, keep those fucking insurance companies out of that decision. Like you said, it's between it's between the doctor and the patient, it, the the insurance exactly. company that's, shouldn't that's have a share. Be. They shouldn't have a fucking say. You you take so the the other thing that occurs uh, they they put limitations on um, insurance puts limitations on billing and funding, right? So certain diagnosis codes that fall under the diagnosis manual that we use to basically label our patients um, are reimbursed at different rates okay because they're considered um like the because studies show that there may be a more like therapy-based treatment for something certain diagnoses won't be covered for you to come see me to get medications so then we have to use other diagnoses to kind of like capture what we do as far as our visits but then we can add the secondary diagnoses on there but if you really dig deep into like where these diagnoses come from, it's all political. It doesn't fucking matter. Some people want to know what their diagnosis is. Some people don't. And, and I try to explain to everybody, this is just a tool so that way your insurance pays for you to come here and you don't get a big bill in the mail saying that you owe money because you came to see me and this other diagnosis, which may be the root of what's causing you dysfunction and, and feeding into the diagnosis that they, they will pay for. Like, because that root diagnosis isn't something that they want to pay for, now you're stuck with a bill. And, and it's very, very hard for people to kind of understand that. And, and then that, it's also manipulable, like, um, from, a, from internal medicine and general practice, sometimes if you're in an inpatient setting for a hospitalization, they may get better billing returns for having multiple medications that they're covering and multiple different areas of diagnosis that they're covering. So there are some unethical practices that occur where I've seen medical doctors giving people inappropriate medications um, because they knew that if they added an additional medication, they got better billing. They can bill for a different thing for that visit. It isn't just a follow-up visit. It is an initial visit on a new diagnosis, which has a higher billing return. Money makes people do fucking weird things, man. <laughs> yeah. And and th I don't know. That's why I think big money needs to get out of politics. I think big money needs to get out of healthcare. But how how do you do it when it's the status quo when it's so entrenched? Uh, like one of the arguments I hear about 
like going to a single payer system or something like that in the United States is, well, you're going to put all these people in the insurance companies out of business. That's, you know, that's feasibly millions of people across the nation. And it's like, well, fuck, <laughs> you know, it's, it's entrenched in there, but it's like something, something needs to give. Cause it needs to be fixed. Like, like the thing with the good where, RX where coupons come from, where, where did insurance come from? So it was a, it's an idea that's, it's foundationally based. Like we have this small community and if something happens to me, I may not be able to afford it. So why don't we all put our money together and then we give it to this independent body. And then when I need it, I can pull from it. And when Joe needs it, Joe can pull from it. And whenever somebody else needs it, they can pull from it. Right. And then it has become basically enforced and forced gambling. I'm gambling on the, the, the need for insurance. I'm gambling on the idea. I'm giving you a bunch of money and I'm, I'm deciding if, if I'm going to get sick or ill enough that I'm going to get more money from you to pay for my illness than I have to pay you. Like that's what it boils down to. And that is a very flawed system because then it leads to fuckery. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading this post on Reddit earlier where someone from Canada was talking and they were basically like responding to to somebody being like, oh, Canada and their their shitty ass fucking, you know, single payer system. And this lady was like, yeah, it's so shitty that when my husband was diagnosed with this brain tumor, you know, world class neurosurgeons used lasers to remove his tumor. And the biggest bill I got was from the snack eating I did in the lobby while I was waiting. And it was like, man, that's. Because like with me, like, like the, like the, when my wife was working previously and we had insurance under her company, my albuterol asthma inhalers that I need, you know, for emergencies were $5 per puffer. Right. And now with this mm -hmm. new insurance that I've got, they're fucking 40. And with the good RX coupon that made it 27, they were like, oh, well, this coupon is is actually it's not exactly in line with this inhaler so you know it'll knock five dollars off it's 35 now and so just because from last year to this year my insurance company is now a different name i'm now paying an extra 30 dollars for this same inhaler that oh if i can't have it and i have a severe asthma attack <laughs> i just won't be able to fucking breathe i mean what the it, it's big money in this in in our healthcare system and in people being able to profit off of the sickness misery and death of others is just absolutely fucked but it's baked into the status quo so i don't know how it's changed at this point but it it does feel pretty fucking dark it's hard to to argue that free health in free health care is a good thing either because um i know when i was uh, a new nurse i worked in dialysis there, there are different regulations for transplants and treatments and how long they'll allow people to be on certain treatments when it's 100% government funded too, depending on the country that you live in, right? Obviously, I don't know because I don't live in those countries, but you know, the idea that a government body could take Joe Stark, boil, boil you down to your list of, of diagnoses that we, you know, that has been given to you and then decide that they're only going to allow you to have so long of a certain type of treatment, like dialysis for, for you know kidney failure. And then if they know that you also checkmark enough of the bad habits slash comorbidities that they're not willing to 
to give you a transplant because it is more um, statistically better to give it to somebody that's either younger, healthier, or whatever, that you know that your your chances of getting a transplant are that much even lower. Yeah, I think, you know what I mean? Yeah, but with the transplant thing, that makes it tough, though, because to get a transplant, it, it is, you know, they, they have to give it to the patient that has the highest likelihood of survival. It, it's kind of like these articles I've been reading about the people who are like staunchly anti-vax and and then they they missed out on a, a, a heart transplant and then they died. It's like, well, fuck, yeah. It's like they're going to give it to somebody that has a, a higher chance of surviving. So it's like. I think if you're on one of those lists, you got to do what you can to reduce those com- comorbidities. But what I'm saying is you won't even be on the list. Oh, you went like if, if you're just – but do you think that that's because of the influence of, of money coming from such a a large, you know, private source of the, the private insurance uh, sector of things? Because it's like obviously, you know, if the hospital's going to be able to get – so much more from insurance than they are going to be from the government. Then I'm they're talking. Gonna... I'm talking in a country that has, let's say, the United States was one of these countries, and everybody got free health care. So there's no such thing as private insurance. In some of those countries, depending on your diagnoses, everything that you have going on, you won't even be put on the list. Whereas in the United States, yes, we have some check marks that you have to make. But so long as you have insurances, you have access to, to list. You know, um, it will be advised. Obviously, if you're 99 and you have all this other stuff, you know, they're going to say something. But let's say you were 80 and you fucked up your knee and uh, an artificial knee would help you walk. But since you checkmark so many other boxes, they're not going to put you through to do being able to do that. They won't approve to have you do. You know what I'm saying? Like. There are certain situations that because the government is held to a standard of distributing public wealth in a manner, there will be limitations on who gets access to some some things in some situations that would not occur in, in an insurance environment, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Um, so there, and, there and it's probably set up different media. everywhere, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, I would imagine because no country is the same, you know, if. Putin doesn't let me have a kidney. He's not going to let me have a kidney. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just one of those things to where it's like it, it feels it, it just feels like there's got to be a way, you know, in, in one of the richest countries in the world, there's got to be a way to take care of people, you know, and, and it's I'm not saying that uh, stand here saying there's got to be a way for us to have our cake and eat it, too. But it's like. There's got to be a way for us to take care of our citizens in a better way than we do. And look at this. We we spent a little bit of time going off track and talking about Boba Fett. And here we are talking about serious shit again. <laughs> I know. God damn you, Joe Stark. Motherfucker. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> You've seen uh, Catch Me If You Can. No, I have, I've actually not seen that one yet, but I'm familiar with the, the concept of the movie. The Leo and Tom Hanks movie? Yes. Yeah, that he's basically been a con artist his whole life and kind of constantly running from from Tom Hanks, who's like a FBI agent chasing him. I think it was that movie that like they break down it was either that or Wolf of Wall Street, where they break down like the CEOs and how much CEOs used to make compared to 
I think it was that movie. Fuck, now I'm second guessing myself. But at the in the end credits, they're like showing like the disparity of wealth and stuff, and like how much more people at the top make nowadays compared to the people at the bottom. And I think that that is the root of the problem because nobody wants to change the way that that works, right? They're not incentivized to give people money that's going to run for office that's going to put limitations on on the amount of more money they can make. Yeah, yeah, it's and like that, it's like trying that, to get the Senate to create more political parties or to to fucking you know, do away with Citizens United. It's like no, you're asking them to realistically go against their best interests and it's hard to get people to do that especially when they're in power exactly um when i was in school right and when i finished school my my there's like you know they talk to doctors and they're like oh this is how you make you remember how we told about talked about the fuckery and stuff like <laughs> i could see four patients an hour um eight hours a day monday through friday and make you know 300 grand a year just from the billing and shit that I could do there. But Joe, what kind of care can I give you in 15 minutes? Like <laughs> the bare minimum. <laughs> and, and sometimes, you know, even, and, and the reason I chose the job that I chose is because every patient's going to have a minimum of 30 minutes with me because there are patients that walk in and, and say one thing and then, Oh, I'm perfectly fine. I'm perfectly fine. And then I get to talking to them about like your pastimes and your hobbies and, your family and you know you, you may have come to me for an ADHD medication and a stimulant and then I find out that you know your your girlfriend's you know uh, attempted suicide and you're kind of been down and these other things that are kind of going on and then I know to touch on those all the time right and I know to focus on some depression and coping skills and not saying that you need a new medication but I can help you as a human being like I yes I enjoy you know having more disposable income and, and knowing that I can take care of my kids and stuff. But the reason that I, I became a nurse practitioner and it's fucking Hallmark channel shit is because I wanted to fucking help people <laughs> because I felt, I felt the shit that I was seeing, you know, psychiatrists showing up to an inpatient hospital where 30 people have been waiting to see this motherfucker all day long. And he says, Joe, how you doing? Are your medicines working? Do any side effects? Do you want to kill yourself? Okay. And that was it. 30 people, you know, psychiatrists seeing 30 people in less than two hours. Whoa. How do you see 30 people in less than two hours that are admitted to an inpatient hospital inpatient, which means you were critical enough that you weren't safe to go home to see 30 individuals in two hours. God, you know, I've, I've never really done like therapy, but when, when I was a kid, I was very apathetic when it came to homework and stuff. And so my parents took me to a child psychologist, but it didn't last for very long. Um, mostly because I fucking hated the guy. Like I did not connect with him at all. And so I'd imagine that it, it really helps to be more effective in your job as a therapist. If you have some sort of rapport with your patients and, and how do you get a, any sort of rapport with a patient? If you're seeing 30 of them in two hours. So there's a fine line in what a psychiatrist and a therapist do. Psychiatrist and psychologist is falls more into the therapy side. Like they, they fall into two two modes of treatment of different diagnoses and one focuses more on medication. But 
they also have a background in the therapy. Like, so I have a background also in the therapeutic interventions as well as the medication. And I am licensed to prescribe um, versus a therapist that is not licensed to prescribe. But that doesn't mean that I can't operate in both. Like technically I am licensed where I can operate as both, right? So you can come see me solely for therapy or you can come see me solely for medication. But irregardless, or regardless, because irregardless is not a word, um, somebody correct me on that. If if you <laughs> are being, if, right? If you're being treated for a condition by medication, how am I going to know if it's being effective Besides asking you the blanket initial questions, are you depressed? How is your anxiety? Um, how's your sleep? How's your eating habits? Um, how's your interactions, your social? How's your focus and concentration? How much information am I going to get out of you? How, how am I going to know where the line between just answering the questions to get out of there, to get your prescription and go home? And then at home you're struggling or you're having these other things and then you know, the medicine's not effective and then you stop taking the medicine and then you try a second medication or you go to somebody else, whatever. Like that's not the outcomes that I, I want to invest in. So I don't know. It, but there are less and less people that are willing to do the more ethical way of treatment than there are that just get burnt out and just want to get through the day and make their money. Wow, dude. All that stuff is so fucking heavy. It's just, it's just why, I mean, it's like, it's such a serious thing. And then because it's, it's one of those things where it's like how many lives, you know, have been saved because of therapy and stuff like that. And it's just, I just find it offensive that, that insurance companies get involved in that just, just due to try and save a bottom line somewhere. And it's just you want to hear something else that's kind of fucked up. It's different state by state. Regulations are different. Who's licensed to do what is different. Um, in Iowa, I can come there and I can be 100 percent independent and I don't have to have any oversight by uh, a doctor prepared psychiatrist. Right. I could just go and start practicing in Illinois. I can't. I have to have oversight for a minimum of two years and I have to have certain types of d- different check boxes, boxes marked. And it's still I have limitations on what medications I can prescribe as far as controlled substances um, like stimulants or benzodiazepines, those kind of medications. But even still beyond that, like let's take the difference between Michigan or Indiana, let's say Indiana and Illinois. In Illinois, if your wife called 911, you're married, right, Joe? Yep. And said, Joe told me he was going to kill himself. They would send paramedics out there and then based on, you know, if you're based on their like just visualization of you, they would bring you in and you would have to have an evaluation. If they called the police and um, for a domestic in Illinois and, and they said, oh, he was threatening to kill himself and other people, you're automatically going to the hospital for an evaluation. I know of somebody that had rope burns on their neck, actively attempted suicide in Indiana. Somebody called. Um, it was a parent, a parent called on that individual. The police came, the police asked that person, are you trying to kill yourself? That person said, no, they were not required to bring him to the hospital and left the scene. Wow. Do you know what happened later with that patient? Um, he ended up being fine, but 
Well, that's good. Still, if you if you roll the dice, eventually you're gonna hit snake dice, snake eyes. You know what I mean? So like, and that's what I was worried about with that story. I was like, I just like, okay, tell me that that person's fine because it was my brother, and he's fine. Oh wow, yeah, yeah, dude. I'm I'm glad to hear that he's fine. Um, you know, suicide is such a rough one. I remember a long time ago, I was talking with, with a very good friend of mine and he described it as a a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And like, I always thought that that was like a pretty profound response to that because it is, it is a absolute permanent solution. And in 41 years of life, you know, if I've learned anything, it's that life seems to be a series of ups and downs and you should treasure the ups. So memory of them can help you weather the downs and I don't know. Like I, I, I never, I never met my grandfather on my mom's side because, um, he, he committed suicide before I was born. And so I always grew up with this knowledge of, you know, what suicide was and then, you know, kind of seeing how it, how it affected my mom and, and my grandmother and, and really how it affected me, you know, knowing that, you know, I didn't get to meet this this guy that I heard so many stories about. And it's just one of those things that's absolutely heartbreaking. And, and you know, the people that go through it, like, like I remember when hearing like when Robin Williams committed suicide, my first thought was like, my gosh, like, you know, he seemed like, like, of course, like, you know, the persona that we saw of Robin Williams to the world was just this incredibly joyous person that like if he had one gift for anything it was to make other people smile and and just the fact that you know somebody like that was hurting so much on the inside it it really just goes to show that you never know really what's going on in people's minds and ah, it's it's such a heavy thing dude i'm really glad that your brother you know survived that thank you yeah he's he's doing better now he you know He's uh he's the youngest. He's got his own problems because he's the youngest, you know, you know, the youngest of children. Shit. <laughs> I'm I'm the oldest of just two. So like, you know, my family experience was like you had eight brothers and sisters. Like that is like that's wild. That's that's a very, very big family. I told my parents, I was like, I'm the best looking and smartest of the bunch. You could have <laughs> fucking stopped it too. <laughs> I bet your siblings love that joke. Yeah, I'm. They call me the golden child, and I'm Rodney Jr. So like, that has its own problem. With an older brother, I am the junior. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. How does that end up working out? They're just like, you know what? We're not the second one. We got this real feeling about the second one. We're naming this one after Dad. Right. So it's weird because I'm a quarter Hispanic and I was always raised to be, like, be proud to be a Mexican because my dad's, you know, Mexican and Italian. And then, you know, we didn't have much contact with my Mexican family because they have their own, you know, Mexicans are proud of being Mexican. But if you're not 100 percent Mexican, especially, you know, in the 70s and 80s, like you're kind of not really included. Right. So that's the problem with being of mixed, you know, racial background. So like my extended Hispanic family had nothing to do with us until like I was in my late twenties. And, um, so like I, I didn't grow up with a lot of like what Mexican families consider normal, but I found out that naming your second junior is actually a common thing amongst Mexicans, which I never knew. 
Actually, oh, I, I never knew that either. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> he could have been lying to me, but I took him as fact. He had no reason to lie to me, but he said that that's, that's kind of common. <laughs> that's really awesome. I never knew that. Yeah. Uh, 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 one of my friends I, that I used to rock climb with all the time, he was actually on the third episode of Starkcast. Uh, my friend Alberto, he's he is Alberto the third, and his firstborn son is Alberto the fourth. So they're they're carrying on that tra- that tradition. I can only imagine that one day Alberto's Alberto the fourth's firstborn will be Alberto the fifth. You know, th- and that's pretty cool when a family will carry that tradition along like that. Oh yeah, my wife told me fuck no. I was like, if we have a boy, can I name it Rodney the third? And she's like, no, I don't <laughs> like that name. I was like, you what? married me. That's so rude. <laughs> Rodney's a fucking awesome name. Uh, I am a little bit partial, though, because my dad's only brother's name is Rodney. And so I've always and like he was growing up, you know, he was my cool uncle. And so I've always Dude, associate I, Rodney I with being a name a of a cool guy. Rodney. What's that? There has never been a cool Rodney. I've never <laughs> met one. They're, we're always fucking chill, funny, have a good time. We're always fucking cool. Like, I've never met a bad Rodney. Rodney Dangerfield. Come on. <laughs> Rod Clairbout, he's one of my favorite Rods in the world. I, th- I think he's been, it's been a, a minute since I've had Ron on an episode, but I think he still holds the record for most amount of Startcast episodes. So yeah, well, this is our first, so don't count me out yet. <laughs> <clears throat> especially, especially all these deep, wonderful conversations about the human psyche that we can go down. Dude, I love this, and the fact that you know you've got this background in science and stuff, I. Like, I, I'm like a science enthusiast, you know, it's like I, I like like I, I, I know just enough about it to like sound stupid in a conversation, <laughs> but like excitedly so, you know what I mean? Um, like like I love documentaries about like cosmology and space and stuff like that. And, um, you know, just that that pursuit of truth that science is, I find it really awesome. And and people that, you know, actually can talk about this stuff from a base of knowledge like i th- i think it's amazing so i mean have we had very serious and, he- and heavy you know topics of conversation in this episode yes but have i loved it fucking absolutely <laughs> <laughs> well when i was a kid like i thought for sure i was going to be a lawyer because like i said i love to be devil's advocate i'll fucking argue with anybody about anything and i'll i'm neutral so I'll just pick whatever side is opposite of you just to give you a hard time. I don't, I don't give a fuck. And then <laughs> I can, I can get I that think, dude. And then I was like, I want to say I was a junior or senior. I was like, I just want to be famous. I just want to go down in a, in a history book somewhere. I don't care if I'm famous or infamous. As long as I'm in a history book somewhere, that's all I give a fuck about. <laughs> and then I graduated high school and I went to West point. Um, and I was there for, about half a semester and I did basic training and then half a semester. And so was that like your first college freshman experience then? Cause you mentioned that you did a few of those. Yeah. Yes. So West was point first. was West point was the first. Gotcha. What was basic training like for West point? Um, basic training at West point is almost exactly regular basic training. The difference is, is they also build in like officer stuff and cadet life and, um, so, you know, I'm doing the field exercises and throwing grenades and shooting M16s and bivouacking in fields. And I have tons of funny stories when I come back on another episode about my time at West Point, which was short, but it's still funny. 
But um, like doing all of that field shit and learning how to field dress and all this this other stuff. But it, but then there's also the historical shit that West Point um, has, and it's like uh, memorizing books of information just because that's their history, and you have to know these certain things if an upperclassman asks you it. So you're you're kind of getting hit on both ends. Um, <clears throat> there's like no downtime during that basic training. You're, it's a hundred percent up your ass straight at an arrow type stuff. And they even switch halfway through. And I don't know if this is the same in regular basic, like they switch your, um, who's leading you and who's your sergeants and your platoon leaders and stuff. Because after a while, it's just human nature to kind of like get to know your, your people. And, you know, so that way the next group is all is back to being a hard ass on you and there's no leniency given. But when I graduated high school, I was 125 pounds. I'm I'm six foot. I'm like between six and six one. So imagine somebody six six one weighing 120 pounds. I was a beanpole man. <laughs> yeah, was, you're a beanpole. <laughs> I was a fucking cross country runner and track runner, and so oh, I was that like makes a Holocaust sense. survivor running away from the fucking Nazis. Like that's just what I look like. <laughs> Which may be a little insensitive, so I apologize. Anyways, but and then I finished basic training and I weighed 152 ish. So I, I put on 30 pounds of muscle in, in basic training. Nice. It's ridiculous. Well, I was been feeding you I, well. I, oh, they had amazing food. But the their food. <laughs> Better than stepmom's eggs, huh? <laughs> oh, Jesus. I never ate so good in my life. Um, <laughs> you'd go and you'd sit down, right? And so this is a little inside baseball on West Point. And if, you can watch videos on this shit all you want. But when you s- go into the dining hall, like you have a rectangle table – and your platoon sergeant sits at the head of the table and everybody sits around it. And then whoever sits at the other head of the table is the one that leads the meal. And so there's specific things that you have to say about the meal, what you're having for the meal. And then the person to your right has a different obligation and the person to your left has a different obligation. And if you're at the head head of the table, you're, you're obligated to cut the dessert. So like if they had pie, you had to cut the pie. And so what they would do is depending on how many people are at your table, you had to cut even slices of the pie for everybody. And if you didn't, they would not let anybody eat. And so what often happened is like if you cut something and it ended up with one piece bigger, they would fucking, you would eat the, you would get to eat the piece of pie that's bigger and nobody else at the table would eat it. So everybody would be fucking mad at you because you cut the fucking pie wrong. Or um, what you the had fuck? to know, dude, it's fucking crazy. This is just the tip of the iceberg. If if there were, let's say, a, divis- a divisible number by two versus five versus three on how you had to cut the pie. And if it was 11 people at the table for whatever fucking reason, good luck. Good luck using math to figure out exactly what angle to cut that fucking pie. Oh my, I didn't even consider that. It'd be like, yeah, well, yeah. you know, the way I cut pies, they're all going to be in eight pieces because that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. The old exactly. pizza pie formula. And then on top of that, while you're, while you're cutting the pie, there's these um, small manuals that you had to memorize that would have shit like um, their song, the cadet, um, shit for the school their bugle stuff and then it would also have like the specs of an m16 and a claymore and all this stuff 
and the upperclassman is asking you stuff and you have to recite it from memory word for word as it is written in that book. And so you're getting quizzed on all this shit while you're trying to cut some fucking pie because all you want what? is a piece of cheesecake or blueberry fucking pie. That's fucking wild. So are there just people behind the scenes that are just eating all these like like shabbily cut pies? Uh, I assume it just goes in the garbage. There's no way because you're talking <laughs> That's thousands so of, of, of freshmen. Dude. That's your tax so- money, people. <laughs> I, I have zero military background, right? My dad came home one day and he was like, Junior, I think you should look into this. And he he stuck a pamphlet for West Point down. I'd never fucking heard of West Point before. I was like a sophomore or something, freshman or sophomore. And I was like, okay, dad wants me to do this. So this is what I apparently I have to do. And I, I literally applied to zero schools. Like I got letters from Harvard and Yale and stuff like asking me to apply because to get into West Point – you still have to graduate in the top 10% of the nation. You still have to have a congressional nomination. You have to have athletics, extracurriculars. Um, I was an Eagle Scout. I was a captain of the cross-country team, all this other shit, right? So, like, I had zero background in military at all. And West Point, like every college, also recruits athletes, cheerleaders, people for different clubs and stuff. And those people will go there usually for two years see if they can get a scholarship to, you know, schools that are known for whatever sport or whatever thing they're doing and then transfer out. Because as soon as you get to your junior year, you're obligated to military time. So if you start your your basic training of your junior year, you are now obligated to enlist if you drop out. So if you drop out for whatever reason or you don't complete your degree after four years, you are obligated by your contract to the United States government to become an enlisted soldier. So my first day, like in your first day there is fucking crazy. There's like a line of people from all over the country just like lined up. Right. And you're just waiting and it's you have your mom and dad or whoever's there dropping you off. And you think you're just like going to go into an auditorium and they're taking you in group by group. So you get into this auditorium. Um, everybody sits down and then a general comes out and the general says um, all future cadets stand up. You have five seconds to kiss your loved ones and say goodbye and leave the room. And that is your goodbye. Five seconds. Yes. And you, you leave the room. You go into another room where you're basically filling out a piece of paper to like put with your, your belongings and stuff. And you come into this room and there's a table with pencils in the middle of it. And they're organized in a very specific way. They tell you you got to stand next to the wall like you would stand in formation. And again, I have zero fucking military background, so I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm just standing there like a goober getting yelled at. They tell you to write specific things on the paper and then put put it away. And then somebody's not going to fucking put the pencil in the cup holder or somebody's not going to put the paper where it was. And then you're getting screamed at for that. And then you have to, just like in the military, you have to be able to salute and and greet everybody based on their rank. And again, Rodney has no fucking military background, so I'm calling everybody sirs and sergeants and whatever because I have no fucking idea what any of that shit means. I did zero prep work like a fucking dumbass, and I'm getting screamed at the whole fucking time like I'm going to fucking pick this up out of my ass. And then they they march you around, and you have to like pick up your, your big bag where they start giving you equipment and uniform stuff and all this this shit as you're going from station to station getting yelled at and screamed at and walk up to my line 
and this haunts me. I, dude, I have nightmares from West Point. I'm 36 now. Walk up to this line, and so you have to walk up to a line without looking at it. You have to stop directly on the line without stepping over the line. All this shit, which I assume they do in every basic. So I'm doing all this shit, right? And I walk up, and I get put in this line, and it's a lady, and I say, yes, sir. Okay? Oh, You're no. not making eye contact with anybody. She was recruited by West Point as a cheerleader, so she was extremely attractive and definitely a female. And every single like upperclassman that was around came and screamed at me. You don't know the difference between a man and a woman and blah, 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 blah. You don't see her, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. It was so fucking horrible. <laughs> you know, isn't a lot of the point of like the military boot camp, though, is it's structured in a way to break somebody down completely so that they can have a blank slate to train you upon? Yeah, and that whole con- – so let's get back into psychology. That whole concept is based on your psychological strength. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm very hard to break. And so I never fully broke and I never fully bought in. There were some times because there's definitely some brainwashing that goes on out there. There were some times where I was like, hoorah, let's go shoot some people in the desert. Because this is back in 2003, 2004, summer of 2003. Yes. But um, but at the end of the day, like I never fully broke. I was always, you know, a fragment or a good portion of, of my normal person, and so that's why I didn't work there because I it just, I'm not like I said I'm a neutral person. So like the do this because this is the best way, and you're the best person. Like that doesn't that doesn't jive with my core. See, and I question authority too much for the military to have ever worked for me. Like I have like the utmost amount of respect for people that do it because the way that they can embrace that level of discipline and to, to you know follow orders in a chain of command and stuff like that and do it because it, it is necessary for a well-functioning military to have soldiers that can do that and in i i do not fit that profile i'd be too, I, too much like mm, this plan doesn't like i'm too much of an independent thinker you know it's like i i, I spend too much time thinking about the bigger picture and it just would not absolutely – it just wouldn't work for me. There was like a cavalcade of different things that was why I didn't work there. I had like such a structured childhood and college life because I was doing so well in school. My my dad was always really hard on me, but then I was also in Boy Scouts and cross country. And so like my life was scheduled Monday to Sunday. I was you know school. I worked. I did cross country and track. And then on the weekends, I had my meets and Boy Scout stuff. And then I'd visit my mom every other week. So, like, I never had that, like, freedom to, like, choose and enjoy life, right? And so I was starting to get burnt out on that. And then, like, I don't necessarily have a problem with authority. And that wasn't, that wasn't like, the core of why I didn't work there. But I, I will never forget, they told me, and this is a big fucking mistake, that I was 18 and it was my choice if I stay there or not. And I was like, <laughs> you done fucked up. <laughs> All right, I'm kicking rocks later. Because <laughs> you didn't say I had to stay. If you would have said I had to stay and lied to me, I probably would have fucking graduated with, you know, a, a rod up my ass walking around like a different man. But you told me I <laughs> Rod with leave. a rod. <laughs> exactly. My dad, I remember, because so when you quit West Point, you have to... Um, 
meet different people. So you meet like the army psychiatrist or psychologist or whatever. I don't even know what it was now because I didn't know the difference when I was 18. And um, then you meet there's like a a class representative that you meet, and then they they're like trying to convince you to stay. And so it was in the middle of the semester, and one of the required courses you have to take is um our, uh warrior ethos, right? And so they they teach you like army shit basically and how to be you know ethically ethical on the battlefield which is in my opinion now as an adult is probably a bunch of bullshit but anyways like and and one of the requirements for the first half of the first semester was you had to write a paper on somebody during basic training that exemplified warrior ethos and your your platoon or your squad um it had to be somebody in your squad and you're in the squad of i think there was seven of us and so taking myself out, there were six other people, five of the six other people wrote it on me. And so they were like, you're leaving, but every single person in your squad says that you exemplify what you're supposed to do here. Then you meet with a general. I think that it was a one-star general that was out there. I met with him and he's trying to convince me. And then my dad was on the phone when this meeting was going on. And he, my dad, like I said, is a very macho person and he doesn't necessarily just give respect. He was swearing on the phone because he couldn't fucking believe that they told me that it was my choice if I wanted to leave. Why did you fucking tell him that? <laughs> I was going to ask how your dad <laughs> took that. <laughs> because... <laughs> oh, yeah, it was it was not pretty. And it was one of those things like for a long time, I was the fuck up that quit West Point. Like there was a big issue there's still an issue probably if we get into the psychology between me and my father, because when I became a nurse practitioner, he did, the first thing he said was not congratulations. It was, when are you going to be a doctor? Cause he doesn't respect of course where I ended at, you know, so he, he has his own issues, but yeah, I, I'll never forget like hearing him on the phone being so fucking mad. Oh, dude, I, I can only imagine it. That was, that was one of the first things that popped into my head was, Oh wow! I wonder how his dad took it when he got the call that you were dropping out. Because, I mean, I'd imagine that was probably a big part of your structured life leading up to that, right? Um, that he because he had no background and he was not college educated, and you know he worked his way up at his job and and ground up type person. He didn't really like know how to do it. Obviously, I didn't know any of the military shit, right? Um, so. It wasn't necessarily that so much as I think he has regrets of his capabilities and he's not dumb, but he cannot learn from reading a book. Like he has a, those difficulties there. So if he learns something and, and devotes his time, he will always want to be the best at it. I think he was jealous and upset with what I threw away and what he couldn't have had. And oh, so that okay. was a big part of, of his anger. Wow. That's... Because you got to remember, too, he was 18 when he had his first kid. So he when I quit West Point, he was the age that I am now. Yeah. And, and from his perspective, you know, he had no choice but to buckle down and, and start working because he had a family to provide for. Whereas, you know, you, you know, you didn't have that yet and you were able to go out and kind of have the world in the palm of your hand and and here you are you know going to college someplace that could set you up as an officer in the military so i mean yeah that does wow 
Yeah, and then after after the military too, you apply anywhere, they'll they'll only take you. You know, you fast track to the big boys club. You know. <laughs> wow, dude. Um, and so that's that's one of the college experiences. So yeah, dude. Um, I I will definitely be getting you back on again. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like we've just scratched the the surface here. <laughs> oh, my friend, we just pulled the shovels out. We haven't even scratched the surface. <laughs> well, dude, I absolutely I I appreciate so much that you that you bared with me for so long during all the technical difficulties at the beginning of this, and and I've had the best time talking with you. I really appreciate you took time out of your your evening, and and appreciate that your family, you know shared your time with with me in the audience uh tonight um this has been really lovely yeah i might have to call them i haven't even heard them come home <laughs> they're, they're still they're still at the cracker barrel oh i fucking hope not <laughs> if they're still there that means they spent a lot of my money oh no <laughs> Oh shit. Well, well, um, do you, I mean, uh, do you got any socials or anything like that you want to plug? I mean, I, I, I probably not because of the nature of what you do, but I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like I tell my patients, uh, nobody on the internet can tell me how to be the best me. So I don't exist on the internet in many, <laughs> many ways. I am on the PCL Facebook as Rodimus Prime, but if you click on me, I have very, very, very few friends, like three. And I just, I just don't do that. I, just talk to me. I'll, I'll plug uh, Blurs R Us for Nana. I will pl- plug uh, um, Morally Flexible for Josh. Um, I will plug all of PCL stuff. Oh, Those guys are amazing. Listed three very good podcasts there. Uh, I, I got to get Nana on here sometime. I talked with him briefly about it at C2E2. And, and I do have Josh Haywood. He's going to be on at, at a future point here. He's on the schedule. So I'm looking forward oh, to talking about them. Both of them are really cool dudes. Um, just like, you know, anybody in the in the PCL group, I, I reach out to them for different things. And um, there are times when I talk to Nana every day, right? And I've never met the man. So, you know, the, it's a good group of people. Nana's awesome. Like, he, he's one of those people that, like, I was so happy that I got to meet him in person. Like, a, a very, very awesome dude. <clears throat> and, like just an absolute fucking beast of a human being like at the, at the uh, Saturday night party at the bar. uh, One of the dudes in the army, like had a little bit too much to drink. And then, you know, being in, in, in Illinois, in the, the recreational use state, I think he hit a vape box that kind of put him over the edge. And so he kind of passed out like in the bar and the, the bouncers weren't having it and they were ready to just fucking drag him out. And so we were all kind of like, you know, what to do to to help this guy out. Fucking Nana picked him up and wore him like a backpack and carried him down this giant steep flight of steps. It was one of the <laughs> most amazing feats of human strength I've ever seen in my life. And like Nana just did it like, like oh, right, I'm going to pick this back up and we'll carry him on my back. I'm going to set him neatly on this park bench. And it was exactly what he did. It was fucking incredible. It was the coolest shit I've except, ever seen. Except- Nana has an English accent, not an Australian accent. I I, I got one did. lane. I got one fucking lane. <laughs> I know. As I was doing, I'm like, Nana sounds nothing like this. You fuck. I was like, 
what's the damn Australian movie from a long uh, Crocodile Dundee? Uh, Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> I was like, let me Crocodile Dundee show up to this fucking party. That's not uh, a <laughs> uh, <laughs> This, this is a knife. Uh, my, my goal is to be at C2E2 this year. Um, I have plans on going. I do not imbibe, imbibe on uh, alcohol or, or the recreational drugs. I just... I know my mental state, and I don't want to push the envelope, so I don't do that because you know I know the risks. So, uh, but I will be there to probably DD people here and there and have a good time. <laughs> nice, yeah. I, I hope to be able to make it this year. I gotta get closer and see what the budget allows because you know it's expensive in Chicago. But I'm I'm hoping to absolutely. So so yeah, maybe I, we'll see I, you in I person, I'm dude. Gonna, I'm gonna cosplay, cosplay, cosplay <laughs> as Bruno from uh, what uh, the uh, Encanto. Have you seen Encanto with your kids? No, but but I've heard about the song. Yeah, so that's my goal. <laughs> but my cosplay, and I can't believe we didn't talk about Peacemaker. But my cosplay like idea is dress like a bald eagle and go around and hug every Peacemaker you see. Oh yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen the newest episode. I have I, the last episode. I haven't seen. Oh, dude, I loved it so amazing. much. Oh my god! Like I was just like just tickled by that episode. It was so good. Like I felt like. Is it the season finale or is there no, more? No, penultimate. Ne- next next Thursday will okay. be the or this upcoming Thursday, as you're hearing this. This comes out on Saturday, so that Thursday is going to be the season finale. And I hope it's just a season. It's- I would love to see this come back for more. It's been so good. It's bad when the racist from Peacemaker is more interesting, has had more of a character arc and build up to than goddamn Boba Fett. <laughs> that is such a fucking terrible thing for me to say. Yeah, you're not wrong, though. <laughs> uh, dude, thank you Man. so much for coming on. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. Until next time, this has been Starkcast.